ourselves, uh, not only offer ourselves, but offer to him uh, those things that we can support his ministry both locally and globally. Uh, let's pray as we take our offering, receive our offering at this time. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for just the privilege of being in a place where we can worship you openly and recognize that, that we come into your presence desiring that you might um, be the one that we honor and desire to glorify and to worship, that we recognize that we, we look uh, to, to the heavens to see where our help comes from. It's not coming from the resources around us, but it comes from the one who invaded history around 2,000 years ago, and his presence can be experienced day by day as he dwells within those who put their faith in him. Now, Father, as we are given to you this day, might you be honored by each gift, and might you bless each giver, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. kind of like a half a clap. If you're going to clap, go ahead and clap, all right? Man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, all right. Thank you, Devin. Well, good morning. This is, uh, this is a great opportunity uh, to look at God's Word. And uh, before the service started, I had uh, some of the people, uh, in fact, they were all ladies in the fellowship center, and they asked me, when are the men going to get it? You know, uh, if you've been with us, we've been looking at how God wants uh, uh, to us see the priority of seeing Christ in the home. And we've already talked to the ladies and look at what God wants for you in terms of living out your faith in the home. And it's been a couple of weeks. We've had a number of different things come up and we haven't really got to the men. And I think some of the ladies are wondering, was I, was I ever going to speak to the men? Which uh, reminds me of a, of a particular statement by an English war hero Field Marshal Montgomery, I don't know if you've watched any of those World War II uh, 
uh, movies, but he once said this to his young troops, gentlemen, don't even think about marriage until you have mastered the art of warfare. So I don't know if that's been your experience, but sometimes uh, there is the battle of the sexes. Uh, we have, uh, one of, anybody have one of those board games, Battle of the Sexes, in the home where you, you know, they have all those questions and they're supposed to give, if I get this right, the male questions to the women and the women questions to the men, and then you're supposed to figure out who's a little bit smarter you know, in the home. I've lost every single game of that particular battle of sexes. But often that's what we look at in terms of the marriage, and particularly we see some things happening culturally. We wonder, is there any hope for this institution that we believe was instituted by God in the very beginning, in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, that, that it's not a human institution, uh, though it, it can be a human institution, but it, its origins does not... Uh, come from simply, I think this is a good idea, let's start something, is that God, once he brought man and woman into this world, was convinced that we are better together than separate, that man uh, should not live uh, alone. In fact, particularly for men, we need a lot of help, so he brought us a helper. And, and we look at that helper role, it's, it's not like a, a menial position. Uh, that word is used in a variety of different ways in Scripture. It's actually used, uh, particularly the Holy Spirit, that paraclete, that one that comes alongside, and often he is, he is translated in terms of his role and his ministry in the lives of people as being not only the comforter, but the... Oh, man, we're going to have... This is going to be a long message. You don't help me out. Because I already gave you the answer. He's not only the comforter, but he's also our helper. And so, uh, women, when you are helping us as men, you are like being the Holy Spirit in our lives in many ways because you're coming alongside us, helping us in our needy ways. But as we say that, uh, we, we are well aware that, that marriages are um, a battleground, not only in terms of whether you're playing a board game or just having a discussion or dealing with some certain items on your agenda, but I, uh, you know, sometimes I I take things and I just throw them in a file or throw them in a pile and I said, someday I'm going to look at this again. But I, I was uh, actually cleaning and I, and I came across just a few years ago on Parade Magazine, one of these scholarly, scholarly journals that you can always, okay, a scholarly journal. It says, um, what really happens in a American marriage, marriages? And this is a couple years old. And it, the lead article in this, and it begins with, you know, the, the obvious, they, they, they quote some Recent politicians that have um, destroyed their relationship with their spouse, uh, they, they pull out some athletes and some actors and those who are prominent in terms of what they have done in terms of sleeping around or uh, just uh, doing things that no one could live with or for. Uh, but then they, it was interesting, they said, uh, they made this statement, the obvious conclusion to draw from these stories is that marriage in the U.S. is a toxic mess. Uh, deception and betrayal really are more common today than marital love and respect. But then it said this, not according to the findings of a new national poll commissioned by Parade. In fact, marriage seems to be working quite well for most of the people we surveyed. About 88% said they were happy or reasonably content in their marriages. Only 12% ranked their marriages at the bottom of the scale in the range between it is miserable and I wish I could get out. Now, if you were to read this, and I don't want to take all my time because i got a lot of things I want to say this morning, is uh, there's interesting things that happen in this uh, along the gender lines. And I don't know if you've discovered that men and women are different. Uh, they discovered that actually men um, 
are a lot more satisfied in their marriage than the women are. And they ask the men, how often do you think about, you know, bailing or getting out? And they said, well, rarely or seldom. And they asked the women, and there was a large percentage said, well, not that often, just every day. All right. So um, as we think about this, um, if you take that last statement, as uh, at least uh, for those who were surveyed in this national uh, study about the state of marriage, is that, men, we're, we're not necessarily doing a great job if the women are thinking, how can I get out of this? And, and really, and I've said this in other context, that as you think about the role of the man in the home, you, and we're going to see this, is that it, really our role is a role of responsibility. Uh, the, the, the status, the, the ambiance of the home, what's going well and what's going poorly really stops at our table. It, it, we can't pass that buck. We are largely responsible, and we can't control everything, and we need to be under, understand that. But, but we are responsible to lead the home in a way where the one who is our life partner does not want to get out of it. And so this morning what I want to do, we've, we've looked at the role of the women, and actually uh, one of the things that happens in homes, obviously, is that sometimes you hear the same message over and over and over again. We call that what? You can say it out loud in church. It's not a bad word. It's called nagging, right? And, and some genders are, cons- are somehow described a little bit more on that side than others. But if the Apostle Paul was using that to describe his words inspired by God in terms of the volume of things that were said concerning what he said to the women and what he said to the men, he says something to the women, but he nags at the men because there's more things he has to say to them than he has to say to the women. And so this morning, what we want to do is we want to look at what does God say about seeing Christ at the home, particularly as he speaks to the men? Or, or what's the job description for the men? Now, even though I've said that he's, he says a lot more to the men than he says to the women, you could summarize in some ways uh, that he said one thing to the men. But actually, because, you know, I, can, I can't simply give you one point. Okay, is I'm going to give you two points because really implied are two points in terms of what he says to the men. But there's an emphasis on one more than the other. Well, let's look at it this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we will get through this. Uh, so you can just relax. Um, we will get through this message because it's, it's pretty straightforward, though it's, it's a lifelong challenge in, in terms of of that desire for us to fulfill God's plan for us if we're Christ followers. We want people to see Christ in his church. We want people to see Christ in his home. We want people to see Christ where we do our life, work, study, whatever it might be. And we want people to see Christ in us. And the reason God gives a lot of detail after he says that, kind of that main idea there, is because we don't do these things naturally. They only happen if we're filled with God's Spirit. And understand his game plan rather than our best attempt to say, well, I think we ought to do it this way. We don't have to answer that question that way or or make that statement. We don't have to figure out what way to do it because God tells us how to do it. Now, that's a big challenge because we fight that. But God tells us how he wants us to live in such a way that people can see Christ in us or in our homes. All right. A man's job description. Let me just give you the two points and then you can relax or listen from then on in. 
Number two, there, there's a calling and then there's a commandment. Men, in the home, we are called to lead in the home. We are called to lead in the home. And there's two extremes in our culture, at least as I observe it, as I see it and work with people, is either we have the idea when we're talking about leading that it's a domineering, demanding, dictatorial type of leading. It's my way or the highway or even more strenuously in terms of abuse in the home. And that's the farthest thing from God's mind, and we're going to see that. And so you have some people who think of that role of being the head of the home or leading the home. It's, a, it's, it's, such, a, it's such a mean-spirited type of, you better do what I say. Now, on the other side of this pendulum, and I see this a lot as well, is me lead? No, this is a, this is a 50-50 operation here. And let's just, let's just figure out everything together. And, and really, what do you want to do? And, and I, I don't really don't have anything to say. And I don't care. And, and they're a distant type of man in the home. Some people say they've been uh, chickified. I mean, they're, they're, they're afraid to take the responsibility. They're, they're afraid to take a step and say, you know, this is where we're headed. And either extreme is just mind-boggling. There is a, a role of leading, not in a demanding way. In fact, nowhere in Scripture does it really tell us to tell our wives, you've got to submit, you've got to subject. You've got to follow me. It's never said that way. But that does not mean that you're not leading. And, and there are two roles of leadership. There is the, and we talked about there is a positional role of leadership, and then there's a personal role of leadership. And, and God wants us to, to more emphasize the personal role of leadership in that we want to lead in such a way that people want to follow us. That's the goal. Is, is, if you look at Jesus, Jesus... Jesus could make us follow him, right? He's that powerful. But as we see when he was here on earth, he wanted them to want to follow him. In fact, one time he even said, after a lot of people left, because there were things that Jesus said that people didn't want to hear, in case you're only looking at the God so loved you passages, there's some other passages where they took off. And he said, hey, well, are you guys going to take off too? And they said, where should we, what? Where can we go? We know you. We want to follow. We don't always understand you. We don't quite get it all the time. And we mess up. But we want to follow you. So, number one, if there's a two-point job description, we are called to lead in the home. And we're going to look at what that could be understood as. But secondly, we are commanded, and that's on the second part of your outline, even wondering where I hid that. We are commanded to love in the home. In fact, in this passage, the command is only to love, not to lead. It's almost just assumed. We, we are the head of the home. That's how God has made it, and that's your role. Or, more importantly, that's your responsibility. Your responsibility is to be a leader, to, to, to live in such a way people want to follow you. And, and we're going to see what that means. But the command here is to love in the home. And, my, again, this is going to be one of my long introductions before we look at the text, is that it's interesting as you look at the culture that this was, this was radical. This was just so radical for them to even see. Man, I'm supposed to love my wife? I, I thought I was just supposed to tell her what to do. 
And if you really look at the, the first three centuries of Christianity, the reason it just exploded in terms of, of people being drawn to the Savior, if you look at it from a human perspective, obviously it was God doing it. It was God touching people's hearts. But what they saw in Christians, number one is, when people were hurting, they ran to those hurting people to, what? Help them. But the other thing that happened is they raised the whole value of half the gender in this earth. They began treating women as God had made them to be treated. To see them as, as joint heirs, as equals in Christ, as, as people that need to be honored and protected and, 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 and just provided for. And it was mind-boggling. It, it, they were living in a culture where there was infanticide. If you, you know, and there are certain places in the world today, if you don't have a male child, throw the female child out because we want more male children. And, and many of the, the men of that day, they had multiple relationships to women, and that happens today as well, but they'd have their trophy wives that they would show up in a particular social setting, and then they would have their mistresses and and then they would, they would have all those kind of things. And also, radically, these people who were brought to faith in Christ, they would say, look it, this is, this is not how it's supposed to be. You are to love your wife. So, though our culture often says that, and particularly related to Paul, that he was chauvinistic, he was male-focused, that is, again, farthest from the truth if you understand the the context from which he made these statements, and the depth of what he was saying. And, and he wasn't saying, and we've alluded this in the past as well, not only alluded, we've actually stated it, when he talks about loving here, he's not talking about the erotic, physical, sexual love. That was, that was just almost assumed that there would be that kind of relationship between a man and woman. But he said, no, you need to love her like God loves you, with the agape love. He didn't even emphasize their words for family love, their Friends, there's words in the scripture related to friendship love. No, you need to love her with an agape love. So bottom line, if you forget the detail I'm going to share with you this morning, it's this. The job description is a two-point job description. One is assume you are called to lead. I guess when I, and when I say you, that means me as well. We are called to lead in the home. Secondly, we are commanded, which is the more emphasis in the passage, and this is the most detailed passage in the New Testament. In fact, you could say all of God's word related to the role of men in the home. We are called to love in the home. Well, let's look at that, what that might mean. Getting back to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll begin at verse 22, uh, but we'll emphasize a couple of passages that I put actually in your outline this morning. He begins... Uh, in fact, we'll even start at verse 21 because submission is both, it's both uh, mutual, but it's also positional. He says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So there's, there's this place that there's mutual submission. But then he goes on and he tells the wives, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This, is, this should come from a spiritual perspective, not just a, a, a rules or regulations. It's, it's, it should mirror your relationship with God that you, wanna, you want to follow him. But then it goes on and says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, that begins to speak directly that we are called to lead in the home. But that leadership is to mirror the kind of leadership that Jesus gives the church. And let's just be honest. As Jesus formulated the church, he had to do what? He had to, he had to die. 
He had to sacrifice his life. And, and, and let me just point, sometimes, most of the time when we don't want to sacrifice for someone, it's because we don't think they deserve it, right? Well, I mean, if they would act this way, then I'd be willing to give in and be unselfish. And No, did, did Jesus die for us when we were like the best prospects in this entire planet to, to be his followers? No, he, he desired, he, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, he died for us. So the headship is to mirror the headship of Jesus or the leadership of Jesus. Therefore, just as Christ is subject to Christ, so let the wise be to their own husbands in everything. All right, so what, what, do, what does that look like in the scripture in terms of leadership? Obviously, we could just look at Jesus, but let's look at a few other things. I, I'm going to give you four ideas in terms of what I found in Scripture that are illustrative, the type of leadership that God wants us to give when, whenever we're in that position, and particularly in the home. Number one, a leader, if they're going to be a good leader, they're going to be clear, very clear. Uh, you know, there are a variety of times I've been in positions of responsibility and giving supervision or, or try to guide people. And the most sobering thing that comes back to me is that, I don't understand what you want. For those of you who are in a position of leadership, you've probably heard that sometimes. At least you're, maybe you're a much better leader than I am. But there are times, I, I don't get, what do you really want from me? And I think, oh, my gosh. I didn't get the first base with this person. And, it's, and I can't blame me, them. I have to blame me because somehow I haven't been clear enough, at least the main things I want from them. And, and not from a self-serving way, just to help them to be successful in what they're supposed to do. You know, and, and I look at Joshua, uh, you know, who got that mantle leadership, and he only had to follow that, and that only so-so leader Moses. What a what a what a horrible person to have to follow. I mean, Moses, what a what a leader he was, and now Joshua had to bring him in the promised land. And after they got there, and, and let me say that they they weren't easy people to lead. And if you've ever been in a position of leadership, after a while you go, I, I can't wait till I no longer have to have to lead. It gets tiring. It gets old because people don't always want to be led. You know, sometimes, um, you know, the whole idea of, of people you're leading are like sheep, uh, that happens. You know, some people it's like, say, or we could use our more contemporary, it's like leading cats. Have you ever tried to lead cats? They don't, they don't, want, to, they don't want to go. And so that's why I wonder why God even created them. But anyway, okay, <laughs> what did Joshua say? Okay, he said this. And it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river. So basically, they had options. You don't have to follow uh, the God that brought you here. You don't have to follow the, 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 the leaders that have, have, have been emphasizing this is the only way to go. But he says this in a very familiar statement. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, as it relates to the detail, what that looks like, what that means in your particular context, in your particular home, in your particular life, with your spouse and with your kids, or even if you're now, you are uh, single and you're living with roommates or you're living alone, uh, and let me just say this for, for free, the toughest person to lead in this life is not your spouse, is not your kids, it's not your employees, it's who? It's yourself. In case you couldn't get that, that's why I pointed this way. Right. Yeah, that's the toughest person to lead, isn't it? 
And, and so when, when Joshua made that statement, said for, he, he began with who? He said, for, for me in my household, we will serve the Lord. So leadership always begins with looking at yourself. And then at least you have the, the main idea. The main idea in terms of leading spiritually in the home is say, for my life, Jesus is number one. You know, for my life, I, I, I want to do what he wants me to do. I want to take my gifts, my abilities, my time, my availability, where he's planted me uh, on my street and my place of employment, at, at my activities. I want... I want people to see Christ in me, and that's my desire for my family. Let's just be clear. Leadership has its details, but, but, but as we think about the objective, the objective should be obvious. My life is to be governed by pleasing Him. Secondly, Leadership, and it, all these relate to, is, is about not only being clear, but being an example. Uh, we can look at a number of different passages in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, which is the one I put in your outline. Let no one despise your youth. And he's actually speaking not to a teenager here, but he's speaking to a man who's probably in his 20s, maybe 30s. And, and he says, let no one despise your youth, because the church had a variety of different ages in that church. But he says, be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So leadership from God's perspective is it's not do, um, do what I say, but don't do what I do. Now, I think all of us are, are willing to follow someone who, who, who's not hypocritical. And not, not that they're perfect, but they never ask you to do something they're not willing to do. Now, there might be some things they might ask you to do they're not capable of doing. You know, maybe it's, you know, you know there could be a honey-do list there, and, you're might, you're, and, and there's some things they can do better than you can do. I, you know, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about in terms of living out the life. You know, Paul, I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Follow me as I follow Christ, which goes from being clear to also being well aware, we can't take anybody further than we are. Now, again, this is not governed so much on a, on a knowledge factor. We, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean as a husband that you necessarily even know the Bible better than your spouse does. But it, it does mean that you are as passionate, if not more passionate, to live it out. He says to that pastor... Be an example of the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And we could, we, could die, we could dissect each one of those words, but that's a challenge, isn't it? That's, that's the role of a man as being a leader. It's not, it's not just spilling out orders. In fact, very rarely do you have to you know, do that. But it's setting the example. Thirdly. And this is my favorite word in, as it relates to, to leadership. Some, some people say their favorite word is the, is the word influence, and I think that's a great word. But, 
uh, recently, I, in my heart, it's, it's about being responsible. In First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We have a whole culture, and it's really affected certain ethnic groups where the man is gone. He's just gone. But it, but it doesn't have to be just physically gone. Uh, it, it can even be people who are in the home, but they're not really there. And so God has called the husband to take responsibility for the health of them. And in this particular context, it's, it's providing physically, but it's much more than that. And so what we need for husbands in terms of seeing Christ in the home is that they take ownership. And when things aren't going right, they're saying, well, what do I need to do differently? What do I need to ramp up when, when things aren't going well with my wife or my kids? And we can't control anything and everything, but we can desire to be passionate about taking ownership of what happens. Fourthly. Ladies, am I giving it to the men enough here? Okay. I don't have to apply it, but everybody else does. All right. Fourthly, be understanding. In First Peter chapter three, verse seven, each of these we could take a little much longer. He says, "Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered." Now, how do we become more understanding with our wives? Well, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm great at that, okay? So I, I can't give a... Anybody got a testimony here? Okay, anybody want to bear with me? But, you know, I understand my wife more when I listen to her. You know, where I, I'm, I'm, I'm just as eager to hear rather than to speak. And, and that's kind of a... That's kind of an emphasis throughout Scripture, isn't it? That we, we need to be better listeners. You know, sometimes we, we've got to get rid of that, that recent cultural malaise where we're multitasking, where we're you know, trying to do three or four things. It, I really don't like to say that because that's kind of my favorite activity at the moment. But, but you know, at times we just got to stop and listen. And, and I just threw these in as well. Uh, to, be, to be understanding in the home... Uh, means we, we, we're not mean-spirited. We, we, don't, we, don't, uh, we don't threaten our wives. We don't, we don't demand of our wives. We're not, we're not oppressive. And we all have different personality types, but, but we have to really guard being mean-spirited. And I'd also say this. We have to, we have to guard micromanaging. You know, any, any, you know, they say this to every good leader. If a leader can't learn to, to delegate, okay, or if you don't like, if delegating seems to mean it, if you can't learn to, to recognize the strengths of the people in your organization, we'll call the home for a moment an organization, if you can't see that some of the people that you lead are better at doing some things than you are, then, then number one, uh, if in a, in a job situation you haven't hired quality people, and then secondly, uh, you're probably just blind to their strengths and you have somehow hyped your abilities way beyond reality. And so as we think about, <laughs> there are many things that, you know, you know, Alice does tremendously 
better than I do? Why, why would I want to tell her what to do when she knows it better than I do? So, so being a leader doesn't mean you make every decision. And, and most decisions, it's going to be a joint decision. It's one of those things where, man, you know, what's going to happen? There's, there's got to be a 51-49 decision here sometimes. But you, you recognize where, where people are better than you, are gifted in you, and, 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 and have strengths or even availability in areas and, and, and feel great about it when they do things beyond your ability. So what does it mean to, be, to lead? It means to be clear, to be an example, to be responsible, to be understanding. Do not be mean-spirited and don't micromanage. All right? All right. Well, here's the main emphasis, and I've spent all my time in the other part of the message. All right. We are commanded. We are, we are called to lead, but we are commanded to love. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, 14 says this. Watch, stand fast in the faith, uh, be strong. In fact, uh, what I like, the tra- uh, and then it says, let all that you do be done with love. So it's not only what you do or what I do, and this is actually a statement to anyone, but it's, it's how we do it. And that's why it's helpful at times to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. So we know not only what we're supposed to be doing, but how we're supposed to do it. And, and really having that desire, I want to be kinder and gentler. You know, I, I want to I do things, but I want to do things that really express love. Uh, I, I like it, the translation in the New American Standard, which says, Act like men. All right? Act like men. Be strong, but then be strong with love. All right. Let's look at the passage quickly. He says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, as we look at that statement, it, 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 again, it just speaks of love like Jesus loved, right? And how did Jesus love? He, he loved unselfishly. I was hearing uh, someone in a whole different context the other day. He was talking about Jesus. You know, most of the time when we're, uh, we're, uh, we're not very uh, unselfish, you know, we're more selfish than unselfish, is that we think that we're the most important person in the room. You ever, ever thought that? I'm the most important person in the room. If I'm the most important person in the room, then people ought to serve me rather than me serve them. Let me ask you, who was always, always the most important person in the room when he got in the room? Jesus. And let me say it another way. I don't care how important you are. Are there times when you're not the most important person in the room? And if you, can never, if you can't nod to that, then somehow there's something wrong with you. Okay, I don't care what position. It's like, uh, you know, I, I just did a wedding, you know, uh, a week ago. And when, when uh, the person coming down the aisle uh, was about to be presented to the groom, people could care less about me, right? It, it's it's the it's the the bride and the groom. They're, they're the most important people in the room. And, and everything in that day, it all relates to can that day be special for them? It's not about it, it, the mothers and the family. That's all great, but it's really about them. And, and see, that's the way that Jesus loved. He could go in a room, and, and all of a sudden, it was it was about other people. So we are to love as Christ loved, which means it's an unselfish love. And, and you can just stop there because there's so many things that go wrong in a home simply because it's all about who's going to get their way, right? Wh- whose needs are going to be met first? 
whose desires are going to be catered to. Now, now, there comes a time where if what someone wants is not good for them, you, you don't go down that path. But the first thought ought to be being selfless rather than selfish. Secondly, uh, and there's so many different ways you could try to put a hand on this, but I, I put this, be good in your love. He goes on in, in this passage, and he says, not only to love as Christ loved the church, he says that he, and this is Jesus, that he being the model, might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, you know, I could have said that be purified and your love for your spouse, and, and then I'd have to explain all that, what that means. But basically... That's a context here. You say, as husband, we don't want to do anything that would pre- put our spouses in a position that will that going to hurt them or harm them. And if there are certain habits that might be free for us, but it's not good for them, we we get rid of that. We we don't get involved in things that are going to compromise them. That that are somehow going to to steer them down a wrong path. We, we simply want to do things that are, that are good for them. Uh, that speaks about entertainment. That, that speaks about what things we consume, whether it be by liquid form or other forms. Where, where we, don't, we don't do anything that, that somehow begins to derail the relationship. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All, all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. And, and so we need to evaluate, well, what are some of the things? It could be good things. It could be certain hobbies that just consume us. But it, it doesn't, doesn't help them. And it, 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 it could even cause them to to pursue other things. What, what do we do that as we think about loving, not only selflessly, but is this really good for them? might be good for me, but is it good for them? Uh, thirdly, and I really like this one. It's, it's totally challenging for me, but uh, be, be caring in your love. And, and I'm going to focus on one word in the text, but uh, you know, picking up in verse 28, he says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, and most of us, we care about our own bodies. We're concerned about what's going on with us. If, if I'm sick and you're sick, I'm more concerned about my sickness than your sickness. And, and so, uh, you know, it takes a choice to be more concerned about your sickness than my sickness. But he goes on, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. The whole idea of nourishing is the idea of feeding, providing for, taking whatever is needed on their part and, and doing whatever you can to, to meet that need. But the, the word that, and that you know, has volumes to say about loving, loving unselfishly, loving in a way that's good for them, loving in a way that's caring. But the word cherish, the word cherish is an interesting word. It really has the idea of, of coming alongside one and, and giving them warmth. Caring with them in such a tender way that in the midst of whatever they're going through, they feel secure and cared for. There's a, there's a tenderness there. 
that they are, some even say that it's, it's the idea of treasuring your wife. You know, that's what it means to love like Christ loves us. He, he treasured us. The Bible, the Bible says that he went to the cross because of the joy set before him. You know, I look at us sometimes and go, what kind of joy do we bring Jesus? But he, he died because he treasured us. He, he cherished us. He came alongside us to, to bring us into his, his home. In fact, the gospel is even presented that. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears the voice, I'll open the door and I'll come in. So we are called to love in a selfish way, in a good way, in a caring way. And then this is a simple point, in a faithful way. Be faithful in your love. The rest of the passage, uh, beginning with verse 30, says, for, the, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and he shall become one flesh. This is the great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. Again, this is all in the backdrop. This is more than just living with a life partner. This is for the Christian, a, a picture of what it should mean in our relationship with Christ as we follow Him and love Him and respect Him. Verse 33, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. But what I want to simply say here in terms of dri- driving this point out of the text is it says that the two shall be joined uh, to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The, the word join there in the Old Testament, it talks about, you know, cleaving. It, it really means to be glued to your life partner. Um, I, I'm not an arts and crafts type of person. That doesn't mean I don't appreciate arts and crafts, but I just can't do arts and crafts. And so whenever, whenever I... I won't tell you my horror stories going through school. But anyway, is that, you know, but, you know, n- now, you know, they have glue that really works. I used to, you know, sometimes the things I put on glue, they'd never stay glued. And now they've, now they've got super glue. You know, I'm not very good with super glue either. Because you know. sometimes you glue things, you know, to get apart, you just have to rip that skin out. But, but that's, what, that's what marriage should be. That's how faithful it should be. That that bond glues to each other, where you, you wouldn't even think about trying to separate. God, God wants us to, to live in such a way that people can see Christ in His church and then also at His home. And He's given us a game plan. It's, 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 it's a challenging game plan because either partner can derail this relationship so easily. And then it gets to the point where we're saying, okay, I'm, I'm in, I'm all in, I'm going to do whatever I can, no matter how frustrating my life partner is. And I, I want to mirror how Christ is faithful to me, how he's unselfish to me, how he's good to me, how he's caring to me. Let's pray. Father, in a moment, we're going to be able to reflect particularly just how unselfish, caring, good, and faithful you've been to us because we're going to take communion. And Father, this, this experience is open to anyone who, who knows Christ in a personal way. And if there's anyone here this morning who hasn't made that step, this is a, this is a great day to make that step.
invite Christ to come in, to forgive them of their sins, and make them a new person on the inside. And then when we celebrate the cup, which represents your blood, and the, and the bread, which symbolizes your body broken for us, we just want to thank you for that sacrifice that was made on our behalf so that we might become whole on the inside. Help us individually and in our homes live in such a way and experience you in such a way that people can see Christ in us. And we pray this in his name. Amen. We're going to do something a little bit different today is, uh, before we take communion. So if you guys would stand with me, we're going to sing a, a familiar song, uh, Nothing But the Blood. Um, but I want to sing it as a, as a response time. Um, and so I'll sing a line of the chorus, you know, what can wash away my sin? And as a church, I just want you guys all to respond, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Does that make sense? And so if I say, what can wash away my sin? 